Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with light workers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation and enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. Time and distance are no barrier to energy, and that means no matter when you're listening, no matter how you found us, you are here for a reason. And I hope that something in the next hour lights you up and helps you move forward. Now, do I sound a little different to you guys today? That's because instead of being in the studio with Nate, as I as I usually am in the Empower Radio studios, I am in my secret garden cottage in San Francisco. And as I'm speaking to you, I have I'm sitting right in the middle of a of a very luxurious bed, and I'm looking out onto a lemon tree and beyond that lemon tree to all the houses on the hill and beyond that to San Francisco Bay. This is one of my favorite places in the world. This San Francisco to me is my spiritual home. I lived here for many years, um, and this is where I began to do the work that I still am doing today. One of the fun things about recording the interview from this space is that every afternoon at this time, since I've been here, there's a flock of wild parrots that, yes, you heard me right, wild parrots that fly over the house along about this time every day. Now, if we're lucky, the microphone might catch them as they go over. And one of the greatest things about being in this space is the closeness to the closest that there is to nature, the lemons and the flowers and all that, but also the amazing bird life that's around me. So listen for parrots, bonus points to the listeners <laughs> who can pick the parrots out of this out of this broadcast. I talk a lot to people who wonder what is the root of my sense of scarcity? What is at the base of the suffering that we have as we reach for more and more and more and yet find that it is not satisfying? It doesn't help us that we're always reaching for more. What if that suffering, what if that hunger wasn't an indication of the things that we were doing wrong, not of our personal deficit? But instead, it was a symptom of the way that we can focus on lack and at the same time, systematically ignore the opportunities for abundance and well-being that are being presented to us all the time. That's for ourselves and for the planet. Well, Lori McCammon, who is the author of Enough, is here today. She believes that we can get to the root cause of scarcity and by sharing what she calls the enough message that we can transform our lives. Are you ready to meet her? 
Lori McCammon has founded a number of consciousness-raising organizations, including the Women's Institute of Maine, Imagine the Good Foundation, and the World Institute of Social Architecture. Lori hosts a blog, she gives workshops and speeches about the topic of enough, and soon she'll be releasing a co-authored companion guidebook to enough. Lori served as a delegate to the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women, where she has twice presented the enough message to an international audience. You can find out lots more about Lori and her work at weareenough.com. Lori, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you, Karen. It's great to be with you today. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you're here. And I hope we spot a parrot. That would <laughs> that would make today even better if we can hear those parrots as they fly over. <laughs> Sounds um, great. I always like to start by asking, how did you come to this work? What is the journey that led you to this place of awareness and and to where you received this message that you're here to share today? Yes. Well, uh, I received what I call the divine download of (laughs) the enough message, which is, it's an affectionate term I use for, you know, those intuitive messages you get sometimes that are kind of whole body knowings and you have this aha moment and you're like, why didn't I ever think of it that way before? Um, And so, that's what happened to me. I was in the presence of one of my uh, friends that I had connected with at the UN, and um, we were in conversation. It's the first time it's ever happened to me like that, and it came in really strong with this amazing energy, and it was a very, very simple message, but one that really struck me as being the truth of our world. Um, I could feel that, and when I get these messages, they always tell me some kind of inner, deeper truth. So I knew I could trust it. So that's what happened, and that's where the Enough Message came in and uh, then became the book. Is there a difference? I believe that we all receive intuitive guidance throughout our lives. We're meant to be using that to help direct our journey Mm -hmm. and, as you do, to help share that with others. Is there a difference in, in, in feeling and quality and tone between a divine download that is a private message and one that you know you must share? Well, you know, that's a really great question because this was the first time I was in the presence of another person when I got one of these messages. And I think, yeah, I think you do know uh, something like that. She was so excited with me about what she heard and she saw it come through me. Um, and we both knew that this is something that could help other people as well. I think the hard thing is how do you then take that intuitive message and bring it out in the world in a way that can be heard by the majority of people out there. And so that's, that began my whole journey of writing the book, which was basically to reverse engineer what I'd received as sort of an all whole knowing in an instant, and then to go through the slower process of engaging your mind, doing research, you know, and uh, finding out what is out there that confirms this message and that will uh, kind of bring it, bring it home so people can understand it and apply it in their lives. Will you share the enough message? It came to you in five uh, mm-hmm. phrases. Are you, can you share that? Sure, sure. Um, part of the beauty of it is that it's so short, but that's also part of the risk of it because we're so um, apt to just think of it as a cliche. But I can tell you after working with it for like four years now that it continues to deepen and it's a very precise message uh, that's leading us on a particular path. So here it is in five sentences. 
I am enough. I have enough. We are enough. We have enough. Enough. And that last one is enough with an exclamation point, which you might take to mean like enough is enough, but it's actually very different in energy. It's claiming. It's claiming the world that you want in which you have enough and others have enough and the planet has enough. So it's a very powerful forward-looking positive ending to this process that enough is outlining for us. That's beautiful. And that actually helps illuminate it for me because the, the title of the book is Enough. And and there's a way when I hear that, I think of me, how I might say it to my kids, enough already, enough. <laughs> Right. But you're right. spinning that in a very, in a very, in a very positive way. This is ours. We claim it. It is complete. Right. Right. You see, because I think the problem is that um, what I realized was the message was the exact opposite of everything that we've been told. Like we have this very narrow lens that we use when we interpret the word enough. We tend to think of it, like you said, more in a stern way or in a way that's self-shaming, like I'm not enough. I don't have enough, I haven't done enough, I'm not good enough. You know, all of those kind of messages of lack and scarcity. And um, what I learned as I began to research it was over the past 5,000 years, this has been our primary lens with this particular word. And it is a pivot point. It's, it's a master key in a way because... If we can correct this one thing and realize that we truly are enough and there is enough, uh, everything else falls into place in a whole different way. When you received this message, how did it how did it change you? How did taking this into your being start to change your life? Yeah, well, it was a process, and I want to be really honest about that because um, you know I think there's some health, self help schemes out there thinking you know if you just uses a mantra all the time, you're going to change. And although that does help to keep reminding ourselves of that, I think what happens is putting it into action is really what, what makes a difference. And so um, for me, what started to happen was uh, as I moved forward in what I, you know, this was my, my purpose, this was my mission, and I knew it, um, I would confront what I call enough initiations. And those were times when um, I didn't feel enough for the next step. I had some message of lack in myself. So um, what I started to do is I started to, to realize that every time I chose to believe that I was enough and take action based on that belief system, that things started to get better and better and easier and easier. So how that manifested for me was that um, I've been a stay-at-home mom for 16 years at that time. And, you know, I'd written this book and I wanted to get it published. And I started to hear all these awful never enough stories about that. Like you have to have 10,000 followers on Facebook. You have to be an expert, you know, with this professional background. And, you know, you're going to get lots of rejection, so have a thick skin. And um, I chose to ignore it and not let those ideas attach to me. So I sent my um, proposal in my dream publisher and I got a yes a few, you know a few weeks later wow it's pretty remarkable so, when you really do believe that you're enough 
when when you do face rejection or when your kid mm-hmm. says something mean to you or when mm-hmm. it doesn't go your way, do you find that because of your work with this that you don't fall back into the old pattern or do you still deal with that? Well, yeah, I think that you interpret it differently. You understand that it wasn't a match for you. I truly believe that when we find that perfect match between our internal gifts, our divine gifts, and what the world needs, that nothing can get in our way, that it's a perfect match. We were made for that. Um, So, you know, I just look at, you know, these other side roads that we take to try, you know, and succeed, and then we fail. I see those all as pulling us back onto our main path to find out what we're supposed to do. Um, You know, I tell people that I didn't get this message till. I was 49, so I had to wait a very long time to get my instructions. (laughs) (laughs) And now I can look back and say it was all worth it. Like every step that I took was leading me here to this work that I absolutely love and that's flowing beautifully in my life. So it's worth it, you know, to be patient. I think sometimes um, the instructions are clarified when we are ready to hear them. I started doing the work that I do now when I was in my early 40s, and I couldn't have understood or heard before that, right? And I think sometimes the instructions come in when we are ready to hear them. If you had maybe not been standing with that person at the United Nations, if you'd been instead, I don't know, in a hammock in I don't believe somewhere you, it might not have had the same resonance. You might not have had the validation. I think this stuff comes in when we're ready to accept it. Yes, I think so. And that was my dog, Chester. I apologize for that. Hi, but Chester. He, he just wanted, he, he said, if you're going to hear the canaries, uh, I want to be heard too. <laughs> <laughs> so bonus points to the listeners who have properly identified Chester. Um, <laughs> anything goes when we're doing it, when we're doing it remote like this, that, way of accepting. I was talking to somebody the other day and and we were talking about career and kind of career outcome. And what he said to me was, I will not accept any outcome other than this one, Mm. which is very difficult because um, what you were talking about, how you see kind of reversals or setbacks is something that puts you back on the right road. Um, I see those sometimes as like the bumpers they put up at the bowling alley, you know, when you take (laughs) your kids and you want to keep it out of the gutter. Those bumpers guide you back to center. And I think sometimes obstacles and reversals, rejection, stuff that doesn't go our way, just brings us back to the right path. Mm-hmm. What I like about the enough message is that there's a beautiful kind of acceptance and encompassing of what already is. And so often we as a society, mm-hmm. I think, and as, and as people, whether we're on a spiritual path or we don't know we're on a spiritual path, we get really rigid and, and say things like, I will only accept this outcome. I mm. feel that that's where we get a lot of the trouble in the world and in our lives. Oh, you're so right. And, you know, how that relates to the enough message is that is the scarcity mindset epitomized, saying only this one thing. You know, rather than being open to all the possibilities that are out there. Um, I talk about enough in terms of, um, you know, Eckhart Tolle talks about this uh, idea, this concept of object consciousness. Like when you look at the night sky, then Mm -hmm. he'll ask, what do you see? And most people would say, I see stars, I see planes, I see satellites, but they don't say, I see the open space. And yet, uh-huh. and yet we found 
that open space actually contains 10 to the 40th, that's 40 zeros, more energy than in any solid matter. So if you were to have like a box that's like one cubic meter box in your hands, it could boil the energy of um, the energy that could boil the uh, oceans of the earth, all of them, just the amount of empty space that's in that box. So it's really amazing how we shut down and only pay attention to the one thing when there's so much abundance around us that we're taught not to look at. Oh, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful example. I um, had the tremendous good fortune to be in a meditation class that was taught by, by Dr. Barry Curzon, who is a physician and a Tibetan uh, monk, and he's, he's the physician to the Dalai Lama, had a wonderful chance to sit, on, sit in on a class that he taught about compassion and meditation. Mm. And one of the things that he was teaching about was about softening our gaze Mm. in meditation meditating with our eyes open and then softening the gaze so that we are kind of seeing nothing and everything at the same time and when you said that Lori, about looking between the stars that's what came up for me we're so can i see the stars oh no it's too foggy is that the moon is it a full moon is it a (laughs) three-quarters moon what does that mean we get so locked in that i we we miss the opportunity to soften the gaze and yet in that softened gaze is Everything. Everything. Yes. <laughs> How? Exactly. When, when we look at that word enough, it mm-hmm. it can have a connotation of being about things, mm-hmm. stuff. Do we have enough paper towel? Will there be enough money to get me to the end of the month? Um, how do you how do you share that message and kind of shift people away from that focus on possessions, things, money? Yeah, well, um, I think because the, the core message is that if we feel that we're enough inside ourselves, then we don't need outward things to fill that void of enoughness. So one of the things that uh, I say is when you lose your sense of belonging, you tend to fill your life with belongings. And, and that's because we're just, you're feeling this loss of enoughness and so you want to fill it with achievements or things. So that ends up becoming sort of a pattern of feeling insecure, that we, we don't have what we need. Um, and so, you know, what I try to do is to shift it, the focus from outside things to what's inside of us. What, is our, what are our gifts? What's our purpose? What's our mission that could be so fulfilling? And then to utilize the material world to fulfill that, to fulfill that mission, to serve that mission rather than to, you know, fill our lives with a bunch of generic things, which only tend to get us into debt, you know? So, um, so we do talk a little bit about that part of it, the, the money part of enough. And we talk about how people are shifting the economy, like into the sharing economy, uh, changing the mindset about, you know, there's enough when we share with each other. And part of the reason why there's scarcity is because we have the scarcity mindset that only sees scarcity, therefore creates and perpetuates scarcity. But if we, if we were to shift that and to believe that the universe isn't enough story, because it is, it's a 13.8 billion year old success story of enough for all. In fact, that's what ecosystems are, is... Uh systems that create enough for, for diverse species, right? 
So, um, so when we join that story and that mindset, all of a sudden we see all the ways in which the universe is trying to support us in our highest good and to have everything we need. I know that you've said that this is a paradigm size issue or problem mm-hmm. and not a self-help issue or, or problem. I'd love for you to speak into that, into what that means. And I'm also curious about whether or not you believe that this starts, that making this shift, doesn't that start with each of us individually, though, first, so that we can take it into the wider world? It does. And this is a, this is a fine line of what I'm trying to describe when I say it, we don't have a self-help problem. Um, we, in other words, we aren't, um, we're, we're canaries in the coal mine. We're living in a paradigm that's sick, uh, that, that requires scarcity in order to work. All of our systems in society for the past 5,000 years um, have been based on this premise of never enough. And it's put us in a place of separation and greed and competition and a lot, a lot of suffering that doesn't need to be here. Um, so out of all the species on this planet, we're the only one who are living this scarcity story. All the rest are still cooperating as an ecosystem. So, um, so when I say we don't have a self-help problem, what I mean is we have to stop blaming ourselves and thinking we're the ones who need to be fixed. I think, um, I think having that mindset um, f- feeds right into that I'm not enough you know, mindset. So we're always having to improve ourselves and do a better job and fix ourselves and all of that, rather than looking at the reason why we have depression, anxiety, um, addiction, all of these, you know, things that you know, create a lot of suffering is because our society is creating systems that are perpetuating these very damaging patterns. And so our natural way, because our DNA is telling an enough story too, our bodies are, um, I talk about that a lot in the book, how our brains work, everything is actually telling enough story. If we align with that, we realize that that's who we've always been. So we don't need fixing. The story needs fixing. As as always, it's a lot more work to resist the story, a lot more work to resist the flow. It's a lot harder to hold yourself rigid, I will not accept, than it is to soften the gaze and and allow. Right. What happens, I don't know if you can answer this, what happens if we don't listen? Right, if we ignore the canaries in the coal mine, which are the early warning signs, what happens if we don't listen? Well, um, I have some really good news in this scenario, which is um, one of the lenses I looked through to understand this enough message was systems theory. And as part of that is uh, called um, general periodicity. Mm. And it gives us a bird's eye view of the history, the whole history of humanity, the history of the planet, and the four growth phases that everything on this planet goes through when it grows. And so you can actually chart out our human story in regards to the enough story that we've been, um, you know, part of. So we started out as part of an enough story when nature provided us enough. 
and then we departed from it when we started to create our own enough through agriculture and things like that, and then industry, and then you move to another phase, which is um, becoming more integrated. So that'd be like the internet uh, and things like that. Well, there is no way to go backwards. Nature always goes forward. It's always integrating more of other as self. So, um, so this story has a happy ending, and it's already eliciting what um, Paul Hawking calls an immune response in a certain population in our society, which is the people who are awakening to the fact that this is a really bad story, this never enough story, and that we want to return to harmony with nature's enough story. So, um, and that's only going to get better and better and bigger and bigger because that's the way nature grows and the other will start to go away. So I, I'm a person who is a huge optimist about the future. Mm -hmm. I feel that we are going to make it and not everybody has to listen to make that happen. But the people who are hearing, who have ears to hear and eyes to see, those are the ones that I put my faith in. And those are the ones who are going to carry us forward in this grand story back to our reunion with nature and enough. That's beautifully said in it. I don't know if you agree with me, but I feel like as more and more people wake up, as more and more people start to look for the space between the stars, as more and more of us in our own way receive those divine downloads, that may be part of why we are. Mm, it, it's not so much that we're not moving in a positive direction. It's what we have in our hands now and our control is the quality of our experience as we continue to evolve. Mm. And so we get we get to decide how how will we be as we enjoy the ride. Exactly. It's going to happen anyway, but we can, we can live it in our lives. We can bring it forward quick, more quickly when mm-hmm. we explore, when we trust ourselves, when we look within and feel that enoughness inside of us. And it empowers mm-hmm. us to bring forth that, that story because we can't look to the mainstream to be telling the leading edge story. That's not where the leading edge is. <laughs> the leading edge That's right. is in those of us who are waking up. We, we are the ones who are the tellers of the future. So, um, you know, just to stay steadily there, find your tribe, you know, move into a place where there's others who, who will affirm you and affirm your enoughness. That's, to me, um, how we get there faster this and better. Is, this is good stuff. You know, the clock has caught us, so we're going to take a short commercial break. You are listening to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager. My guest is Lori McCammon. We're talking about her book, Enough, and you can find out more at weareenough.com. We'll be right back with Lori after this. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away, a place where you don't have to mow the lawn or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs, ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you. The enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree, yes, is that one. The free-to-be-me you. (laughs) Ask your parents to take you to this not-so-far-away place. 
come to the forest, where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hey, Larry, mind if I sit down? Nope. This coffee tastes like uh, coffee. So what's going on? Not much. What's new? Not much. Okay, but can you please put the newspaper down while you say not much? What newspaper? This newspaper. Oh, dude, what happened to your face? I see one, two, Ow. three, four, five, six. Ow. Dude, what is Ow. this? Eleven pieces of toilet paper stuck to your face? I'm shaving in the dark to save energy. I'm helping the environment. Well, that's a dangerous way to help the environment. Well, sometimes you have to sacrifice yourself for the greater good. Dude, there's an easier and safer way to help the environment without sacrificing yourself. Go green, go public. Take public transportation. It's good for the environment and you won't have to live behind a newspaper. Wow. But for now, put the newspaper back up. A message from the public transportation systems across the country. To learn more, visit publictransportation.org. This week's episode, Danger at the Old Well. Last one to the old well's a rotten egg. Ha ha, I win. Whoa! Ah! Sassy! Johnny fell down the well. I'm wet. What, Sassy? You know where Mr. Gunderson keeps his rope? Go get it, girl. What? You'd rather use his time to set people straight about shelter pet adoption? I'm cold. People shouldn't be afraid to adopt from a shelter? Because shelter pets are screened for sound health and temperament? I'm wet and cold! Sassy, what about Johnny? <laughs> what? Let Johnny sit in the well until he learns to be more self-reliant? Sassy! What do you say? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Remember, adopt! And now back to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager on Empower Radio. EmpowerRadio.com. Welcome back to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager and I'm talking with Lori McCammon. Her new book is Enough. Liberate Yourself and Remake the World with Just One Word. And you can find out more about Lori and her work at weareenough.com. And of course, I always welcome your questions and your comments about this show, about what you're hearing, about what you're learning today. Are there places in your own life where you are aware of telling yourself, I'm not enough, this is not enough? Do you ever say to yourself, I will only accept this and I will not accept anything else? I'd love to hear if this raises any issues for you, if it, if it maybe promotes a shift in the way that you soften your gaze, that you look at the big picture in a different way. You can always reach me through my website, karenhager.com, and it's easy to shoot me an email, karen at KarenHager.com. Lori, we were talking before we went to the break, and you were talking about the way in which we are evolving. We are moving forward, and we're kind of all going along for the ride, no matter what level of consciousness and awareness we are at. Why? How do you talk to people about this in light of what's going on in the news? <laughs> um, I've been, like I say, I'm on the road with the wild parrots and even I have been seeing the news and it doesn't show me a world that I, that is evolving and we're all going to that happy place. It doesn't make me feel optimistic. It can, um, we can be forgiven, I think, for thinking that things are going not to our happy place. 
Mm. How can you speak into what's happening in the world today and, and bring that message in and help us soften our gaze a bit? Mm, thank you. Um, well, you know, uh, we learned in, in school about the bell curve, you know, mm. uh, and so wherever we are as a collective humanity, there is a bell curve that represents the level of consciousness that is present here on our planet today. So um, we're going to get diversity in the ways that people are um, reacting to what's going on or what they're creating in the world. And um, I've learned to feel like it's all okay because I know that this bell curve is continuing to move forward into a place of greater unity, greater sharing, um, you know, greater oneness, greater peace. We are moving in that direction all the time. And uh, what happens is on, on that side of the bell curve that's sort of the leading edge, that's always growing. Uh, on the other side, what we will find always is that, um, that there's, there's a, a level of consciousness that I call repeat. Um, and it's, it's a consciousness that wants the world to look like itself. <laughs> they, they want it, um, they, they feel uncomfortable and fearful about um, things changing too quickly, moving into the share too quickly. They're not ready. And rather than, um, you know, label people in a negative way, I look at that and say, well, we've all been through this process of learning to share better, learning to feel that we could trust more people. And so, you know, we're one humanity here. And the best way for us to move forward is to show how much better life can be when we do share, when we are in a greater unity consci consciousness, when we do stand for peace. So um, I think it's really important to not overwatch TV because it's like having to run an old tape over and over again. Um, it's, it doesn't really help. It, I, I think that what does help is us moving forward and and feeling that we can be pulled forward by a vision for what could work. What, what you're saying is making me think about the ways in which maybe even the way that we receive mainstream media is based on that never enough, mm -hmm. because that's what drives the advertisers. It's what drives right. the, the stories that are, I never really thought about it that way before, but it might be that just by tuning into that, we're listening mm -hmm. hmm, into the no, other side true. of the bell curve. It's true because if you look at it, the never enough message shows up as fear-based talks, so, you know, basically saying you, you aren't enough, you're not smart enough, you're not safe enough, you know, you're, you're not beautiful enough, you're not successful enough, so we're going to sell you this stuff or we're going to, um, you know, have you elect someone who's going to, to save you, <laughs> you know. Uh -huh. So um, when we look at all these things, we have to be a much more discerning, I think, about what is the message really saying? And is it really a never enough message or an enough message? Does it empower us or does it make us feel helpless? If it makes us feel helpless, if it makes us feel disempowered, if it's likely to make us not act. Um, we become passive. We, we sit it out. We get uh, anxious and stressed. And that's, that is not, um, you know, what we came here to do, really. We came here to to co-create a, a much better world, a world that's in alignment with our highest values. So, you know, it really, uh, it really is good to know that 
um, that, that it's not us. We're not the problem. It's, it really is the messages that are coming through that never enough, you know, kind of uh, lens all the time. And so if we always have the same responses or reactions in this case to that message, the message perpetuates itself mm-hmm. and on and on and on and on we go. Right. Mm. Right. If we went off the hamster wheel, we, we have to do something different. It's what Albert Einstein said, um, that not, no problem can be solved from the same consciousness that created it. And I think he's really looking, um, when he's sort of pointing to the idea that, um, you know, when you're in a never enough mindset and you believe in survival of the fittest and that's your, that's your lens, you're going to keep creating that. And you're going to, you know, you can't solve it through that. So if we want to solve war, poverty, species extinction, all those things, it's going to have to come from more of a global mindset, more, one that's more geared towards sharing and providing enough for everyone. Mm. Which is so difficult when we pit ourselves against each other when instead of collaborating although of course there are examples there are good examples wonderful examples of people making change in the world but if if i were to just turn on my television i wouldn't see that i would see ways in which we are fighting against each other tooth and nail where everything is a cause for conflict and disagreement in a way that i could do it better or differently right Right. Well, that's because it's not the lead story, really. I mean, it's the lead story on the news, but it's not the lead story in terms of evolution. Hmm. And when we know that, we can, we can put it in that context of this is, this is the, the height of the bell curve, but there really is something more at the leading edge. Um, so we were talking a little bit about paradigm shifts and about how survival of the fittest really doesn't, doesn't cut it, doesn't make a lot of mm-hmm. sense. Another kind of archetype that we seem to have built a lot of our culture around, a lot of our society around, is the idea of the hero's journey and that mm-hmm. the hero goes through um, trials, overcomes mm-hmm. obstacles in order to get to the end of the journey. And you suggest in the book, and enough, that there is maybe a better story, a different story that's emerging now. Can you, that's fascinating to me. Can you say a little bit about that? Because we've been telling that story, the old one, for a bazillion years. Well, we have. And I think the thing we don't realize is that if you have a hero, you have to have a victim and you have to have a perpetrator. So in some ways, perpetuating this, this hero story is perpetuating a great deal of suffering and a great deal of separation between people. So if we want to move to a better place, we have to be willing to look at that hero story and to see what is the story that's emerging for humanity now. And uh, I was um, at the New Story Summit. Um, I tuned in over the Internet at Findhorn, and uh, Satish Kumar, who is an amazing speaker, was talking about this idea of a pilgrim and that we need pilgrims now <laughs> because the paradigm is shifting. So we need people willing to go outside the known to be in a state of not knowing and to go forward and with courage to explore, to experience, and to discern from a deep place within us. Not, this isn't judgment. This isn't... Uh, you know, judging something uh, that we haven't experienced. It's being willing to experience it and then to discern, is this right for us? 
is this the way forward? So it really is a shift from this idea of fighting the evil (laughs) to this idea of being willing to face the unknown and to discover from within what works and what is beautiful and what serves. So it is a major shift (laughs) that we're in. And it, it seems to be asking of us a willingness to ask those questions and then sit in the space between the the asking of the question and Mm -hmm. the response. And we're not very good about that because never enough says, hurry, grab it, get it now. Ask a question, didn't get an answer, keep going, ask the next Mm question, hurry. But Mm -hmm. what what, what you're making me think about is about that there is a... um, I don't know the right word, a contemplative quality. Maybe there's a, mm-hmm. there's a, a spiritual practice of going within and allowing silence and allowing the silence to generate the answer instead of our own busyness, our own noise, our own never enough to generate the answers. Wow, that's so beautiful and it's so true. We really do need that time to sink into our beingness. Um, I'm pretty clear about that, that if you don't have that, you are likely to buy into this story. And um, I found it really fascinating that, um, you know, in studying a little bit about brain, how the brain works, that when we think we're under imminent threat, we, whether it's real or even imagined, uh, different parts of our brain become activated. Uh, and it's, it's what we call the reptilian brain. It's very, very ancient, and it's very reactive, and it's a very short-term focus. So it's going to do fight or flight. And it's just looking for survival for today. And if you look at that mainstream story that you were talking about earlier, both the advertising industry and, and the nightly news, which is so full of fear and insecurity, it's creating a state of imminent threat all the time. And when it does this, it keeps us within our reptilian brain, and we're not using our higher capacities that we've evolved over time as a humanity to think about long-term, to think about subtle interrelationships, you know, to think about complexity and to, to reason from that higher level of knowing and experiencing. So um, you can see how important it is to confront this story or to move beyond the story of never enough because it gives us access to our higher capacities of creativity, of synergy, you know, all of these things that we need so desperately right now. I wonder, I bet there's application here for sharing that message, for parents sharing that message with children because for most of us who are adults now, it might be hard to imagine a time when we didn't hold the never enough. Mm-hmm. And so now as parents and as wanting as wanting to raise conscious children, especially because many of us are who are parents now are parents of awakened children, children mm-hmm. who are more awakened than we were when we came in. Um, there's a maybe a, a an opportunity here to share that message with our kids so that because mm, we're kind of deprogramming ourselves here. That's how I read your book. Like here's, right. as you say, I'm reverse engineering it. Here's how to sort of deprogram yourself. But we can also be doing that for our kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, a book I've been thinking about writing is Shame-Free Parenting. Because oh, I, I think, the title. Yeah. One way we 
we transmit the never enough story without even realizing it is this belief that in order to get our children to do what we want them to do, we have to introduce it through shame. We've got to make them feel ashamed of themselves. And, um, and what this does is it, it reinforces this idea of the not being enough. So if we could raise our children in a way that we believe that they're enough and we, um, we help them aspire to be the best that they can be and help them to know the consequences of their, their actions without shame, but just say, when you do this, this is what happens. You know, or when you do that, that's what happens. And make sure they understand that. And then they're making choices based on the outcomes that they want to receive. But without the shame message, you see. Mm-hmm. So it, it could be a really amazing next chapter, I think, in this enough story. Um, if we could be the parents that uh, could stop the shame <laughs> in its tracks for good. Well, and it also opens our, I'm thinking of applications now in schools as well, because if, if we start as parents, if we start that with our kids, then it brings our ch- our children into the school system and it brings them in, in with an openness to maybe the kind of collaboration that you're talking about, mm-hmm. not survival of the fittest, not the pecking order, not that kind of stuff, but it might bring us, bring those kids into the, into school, then their schooling. Mm-hmm. in a way that is more open to the kind of collaboration that you talk about as such a powerful force for change. Oh, you know, you're so right. And there's this great group that's doing this very work right now. Um, it's um, Zoe Weil has a wonderful TED Talk that she does, and it's about being solutionaries. And so she has the Institute for Humane Education who creates um, programs um, to certify teachers to help their children and their students to, um, to, be, to know that they can make solutions, that they are part of the solution, that they need to get engaged in looking at the problems in our society, and that they can believe in themselves that they're enough. So it's a wonderful program. I encourage people to look that up. Her talk is fantastic, by the way. Oh, that's really V-O-E. interesting. And it- W-E-I-L. W-E-I-L. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I, we're talking about, as we talk about parenting, I'm thinking of the role of the mother. And, and you say that there's that, that feminine qualities, and I don't mean women. I'm talking about feminine energy, mm-hmm. divine feminine energy, has a central role to play as we are shifting that consciousness from never enough to enough. Can you speak a little into the divine feminine and mm. the way that that energy is so, and I, I, oh, I agree with you, it, the way that that energy is so important to this shift? Sure, yeah. Well, you know, um, anytime we're going through a major shift like we are, and I, I don't think we've had one of this magnitude for 5,000 years, this really is beyond just little tweaks that we've experienced in recorded history, this is, this is a huge leap. So we need qualities, which we would classify as feminine qualities, and like you said, aren't just for women, but they're, they're more passive or they're more uh, geared towards the subtle in life. So things like helping people to heal, um, things like letting go, uh, things like non-resistance and peace programs, uh, all of these types of qualities 
And I outline there's a couple of roles. Uh, one of them I call the sovereign role. And a sovereign would be what you would think of as like a, a classic nurturer um, who creates space, safe space, for people to explore this inner territory that you and I have been talking about, Karen, about, you know, what's, what's in us to bring forth. Uh, how, how are we enough for this? And so we're going to need sovereign energy to arise here to create safe space for people to explore the story that wants to come through them. You know, uh, another place, feminine quality, would be what I call the seer. And the seer is someone who is um, taking that time, like you said, to be in that place of non-doing so we can sense the intuitive messages and our connection to the divine, our connection to the collective consciousness, so that we can receive wisdom, so that we can see things that we hadn't seen before because we're not looking at the space, we're looking at the stars. Yeah. So um, it's all connected. I wonder, can you share with the listeners, and okay, also me too, something <laughs> that I can do when I tap into that never enough, is there something I can do, a trick I can use, a tool I can use to help kind of on the spot shift that thinking? Well, um, here's one that I, I share with people, uh, and it's very simple. And it's important to do it with, um, without shaming yourself or being in judgment of yourself. So one of the reasons why I think enough is so powerful is because it shows up in every aspect of your life, relationships, work, money, you know, everything. So next time you notice the word pop up in your life in some way, in a sentence that you said or in something you see or someone says to you, just take note and ask yourself, am I relating to this word from the positive or the negative? Am I relating to it from that there is enough or there isn't enough? or that I am enough, or that I'm not enough. And just, just take note. And then what you can also do is you can look at the situation and say, okay, well, I reacted in a way that made me feel that, you know, I was aligned with not enough, okay? But next time, or what would be different if I believed I was enough? How would I take action in a different way if I really believed I could do this? I really believe there was enough. So if you do that over and over again in different scenarios, you're going to find a lot of things opening up for you. And this is a process that I talked about at the beginning of the show that happened to me. And it really does lead you to a different place. When listeners visit your website, which is weareenough.com. Can you let us know what they will find there, how they can connect with you, what you offer? Do the whole thing. Tell us where we can see you and find you and how we can work okay. with you. Do all that stuff. All right. Thanks. Um, yeah, my website is pretty massive. Um, I, I've got to figure out how to streamline it, but uh, there's so many resources there. I have a blog. Uh, that There's the summary of the book is there. Um, you can get the book, by the way, on any re retailer like Amazon and places like that. Um, you're going to find I'm starting to offer courses and coaching starting in the fall. And I have other kinds of free tools and tips as well that they can sign up for. And that's at weareenough.com. 
And I think you have some personal appearances coming up. Is there anything that you'd like to let us know about? Yeah. Um, well, it depends on where you live, but um, I have um, a couple over on the West Coast coming up this fall, and that will be listed on my website as well. I'm going to be the keynote speaker at the Gather the Women Global Matrix annual gathering, and I'm oh. going to be presenting a poster presentation at the Science and Non-Duality Conference, and um, that's in hmm, San Jose, California, mm -hmm. and that's in October, like October 20-something, <laughs> I think, oh. 22nd or something. So yeah, so I'm doing a bunch of stuff. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you, Lori. You can really hear in that the way in which you accepting that divine download not only shifted your life, but now is changing the lives of people as you go around and are spreading that message about enough. Lori, thank you so much for being on the program. That was Lori McCammon. Her new book is Enough. Liberate Yourself and Remake the World with Just One word. You can find out more about Lori and her work, about the personal appearances she talked about, about the upcoming classes and coaching. All of that is there for you at weareenough.com. And you'll also find some free tools and tips that are there to help you on your journey as you make that shift. And of course, I'd love to hear your feedback about this program, if it raised any questions for you, if it maybe is starting a little shift in and of itself, I'd love to find out your reaction. You can always get me through my website, karenhager.com. And my email address is karen at karenhager.com. When you go to karenhager.com, you'll also see my list of upcoming classes and events. I love to connect with people for uh, private one-on-one uh, -on -one intuitive sessions, and all the information that you need is there on that website. Liberating ourselves and remaking the world, as Lori was talking about, is something that I believe is done one small conscious action at a time, one breath at a time. Sometimes when we are looking for the big change, the big shift, it can feel so overwhelming that we kind of stop and turn away. If you feel that way, if something that you've heard today has made you long for a bigger change in yourself in the world, and yet you're not sure how to get there, please remember that you can always break it down into smaller steps, into smaller pieces to make it accessible for you. You know, none of this is a is a punishment. This is not meant to be hard. This isn't meant to be a struggle that we go through suffering every step of the way until somehow we reach enlightenment. Our time here in what my friend would call earth school is really meant to be a learning experience, is meant to be expansive, is meant to be an opportunity for us to learn more about ourselves, both in our incarnated form as humans, but also about our own, the pieces of the divine, the uh, facets of the divine that we carry in ourselves. So none of this is meant to be a punishment. So don't hit yourself over the head with the big change. Instead, allow yourself to breathe, to take it one step at a time. And thank you so much for being part of the program today. If you believe, as I do, that 
through conscious intention, through one breath at a time, we can change the world. I invite you to check out openpeacefulheart.com. That, on that website, you can find out about the free monthly guided meditation that my partner Kathy and I do once a month on the first Sunday of the month. That free call invites people to join us from all over the world, and we spend 15 minutes focused on a shared intention for peace, for change, for collaboration, for shift in the world, that what is moving in a direction that may feel like chaos may actually uh, be turning to the other side of the bell curve, as Lori spoke of, can actually lead us in a direction of greater peace and greater harmony. You can get more information at openpeacefulheart.com. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world, and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.